Welcome back to the show. We're about to learn the secret sauce. Sauce me up. I'm ready. (laughs) Pour it on. (laughs) Cool. Taylor, welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you yeah, so much for having coming me. down the hill to come join join us for a conversation about open source. It's fun. Hey, anytime that that happens, I want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've been talking with industry leaders, folks that have impact in open source, but also folks who are up and coming in open source as well. Uh, you're like all of the above. Uh, you've got quite the history, and I figured we like go through that to start with. But did you want to start with like who are you to the audience? Yeah, yeah. So howdy, everybody. My name is Taylor. Uh, I've worked at places like Disney, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, American Greetings, HashiCorp, and now I'm at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So, okay, I, I want to hone into the American Greetings. Yeah, yeah, American yeah. Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> American Greetings, which is like the the cards. Yeah, yeah. So what did you do there? Uh, it's, it just worked on a whole bunch of card copy. Uh, I worked on the content team there. So all of the stuff that went into the cards was uh, mostly what we worked on, a lot of uh, artwork and some other things as well, all the systems that stored that and then sourced that online. But uh, did you know they own IP for Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake? Like, No. No, I, I had no idea like, before I Since joined. the beginning of Care Bears? That, like, yeah, that's yeah. Them? I was just like, wait, what? Um, and they were all this this greeting card company. Yeah, and they do like papyrus and like all these other things too. I what? just said, I yeah, it's <laughs> that's weird trivia. I never get asked, but clearly, yeah. you know, I, I want to. <laughs> so you went from Care Bears to to Disney. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do at Disney then? At Disney, I worked with the uh, studios team. So I led the SRE team, uh, basically moving an operations team into the SRE mindset, uh, trying to rethink how we were doing patching and engagement with different teams, and then working a lot within inner source kinds of concepts yeah. and concerns. So we we had a platform team that was making products, and then it was all about, you know, that, that went to our team to adopt and then to kind of sell to these internal teams. But uh, that was that was near the end of my career. I started working with the International Theatrical Distribution Group, which tongue twister. <laughs> don't try to say that five times. I could barely uh, say American Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> they it was that was a really cool group. Um, they had really incredible products too that would track movie theaters and uh, all the movie theaters in the world, which is uh, managed by a MongoDB database. Really? At least at the time when I was there, yeah. Wow. Smellovision, 4D, Time Seats, <laughs> all of those. Uh, is uh, Smellovision still a thing? Uh, it's in some places, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was just listening to like 99% Invisible and they were talking about Smell-O-Vision and like its inception and like, it, I always thought it was just a joke on The <laughs> Simpsons of all places. Yeah, But yeah. it turns out it's like, it's actually a real thing. It's that, yeah, the Aunt Anne's like, you know, like buttered pretzel smells and yeah. all those. Yeah, I was not a fan of the ones that would uh, like shoot you with water in the face. Uh, yeah, that's uh, not my not my scene. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so like, I guess we could like zoom out a little bit or like go Closer to the beginning, like how did you get involved in open source? Yeah, so so open source was always something I had been, frankly, like really intimidated by, right? Because it's, I, I thought from my earlier days, like 16 to 18 to like early 20s, I always thought that it was people that were, you know, really smart, like don't touch this, you have to really be intentional, know exactly what you're going to do. And then the more that I grew up and got to work and talk with people, the more I saw I was like, no, we're just trying to do our best. Sometimes we don't get that right. And other times we do, but it's always a discussion. So it's not like you're doing this thing alone. Um, and so that was, I think, the biggest learning on that front. But once I started to work, uh, I, 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 uh, so, so my family situation was parents got divorced. I uh, was living with my mom for a while. And so uh, we, we just didn't have a lot of money. And so 
I did a lot with Visual Basic 6 and .NET. And so I could work with .NET just, and other things just at school. for fun as a kid? I don't know a lot of VB, oh, yeah. it was, VB yeah. kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like clearly messed up. I love vacuuming and cleaning. Like something is wrong with me, clearly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I loved doing that. Um, just like playing around with uh, label clicks and button clicks, all those yeah. events and whatnot. But uh, yeah, also, I, I didn't know anything about UX or UI. I'd make like uh, neon green forms. Like, don't do that. That's that's an, uh, that's atrocious. <laughs> Uh, but did that for a while. And then when I started to look at colleges and, and wanted to do this stuff on my own, it was very cost prohibitive. You know, I didn't have three grand when I was 14. Yeah. And uh, so I started to look at open source and PHP and, and these other technologies yeah. when I couldn't go to ASP.NET and web forms and all those things. So uh, that really kicked it off for me. And then Ruby on Rails came along yep. and then uh, Go and then Rust and then just kind of uh, open source at large. Uh, Ruby made open source a lot more accessible for me, yeah. especially working at the Cleveland Clinic. We, we, I was always told by recruiters when I look for jobs like Taylor, just pick one. It's .NET or it's Java. You know, you just stick within those camps. And I was like, I don't like that. I want something else. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fun. But uh, yeah, that was really my start. Was just kind of like it was. I was pushed into it in the best way possible, and then found so many people willing to spend time to go over that with me, which I thought was really. The best part of open yeah. source. Yeah. What, what's your take on the the Ruby community now? Because I feel like Python it, machine learning has always been the thing. So now it's got like even more energy. Uh, and I know a lot of Rubyists that went to Go, uh, and now a lot of Rubyists that are doing Rust. So like, what's going on for with Ruby? With Ruby, I've I've seen the same thing. Like folks going to Crystal and other yeah. languages too, and really just trying to figure out something that captures that same fit as far as the syntax of the language and just it. You know, I've. I've liked, what was it, uh, underscore Y uh, described as like, I it, I think he said it was like writing poetry rather than yeah. writing code, which uh, that's what really stuck for me when I was working with that. It's, I, I still have, Ruby's where I grew up. I, I don't write in it so much anymore, yeah. but if I do need to pull something down or write a quick script, I'll typically go for that or go or something like that. Uh, I saw Python came out with Mojo recently. So really just interesting syntactical space, but um, yeah, I know tons of folks still using Ruby, and and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Uh, much like uh, at, you know Jenkins, CI/CD, and all these other things too that might feel a little bit more antiquated, but yeah. just make things accessible. Uh, so. Yeah, like fun fact: uh, my interview at GitHub, I wrote my technical screen in Ruby. Uh, it took me 15 minutes out of like the 45 minutes that was allotted to it, and I did it intentionally because I'm like, <laughs> I don't need to think about this. I just I know I can type it, and it will work. Um, and then like write test with it as well. It's also pretty approachable. So uh, I also started my career in professionally in Ruby. Huh. I was always like a copy and paster in Perl and JavaScript and stuff like that, but got the finance degree and went into sales and then learned how to code in Ruby. And uh, great language, great community. It is. It really is. And just seeing like how Ruby gems worked, Heroku definitely had a big part in that too, yeah. as far as being able to deploy your thing, you know, that you're working on. So uh, that without that, I think it would have been really difficult. The tool set around it was just phenomenal and it influenced so many other languages and tooling and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it's also like it helps break that myth of like, oh, it's open source is a bunch of people who are going to gatekeep or going to gaslight you into doing, not doing it basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a welcoming community for me when I first started going to like the conferences and the meetups and got a job and no longer write Ruby. Like I don't, I write Ruby every now and then to do like a quick script. Uh, but JavaScript is like where I sort of really accelerated my career. Cool. And I, I think the evolution that we're seeing right now in things like TypeScript and like Crystal and, mm. and Mojo and Kotlin for, for Java is 
uh, I think it's it's needed like the the like a new energy into a lot of different ecosystems and uh, making things more approachable. That's 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 where I I completely agree. I think that there was there were like sad moments moving on from Ruby, and I've seen the same thing within Python and the Gill and how it just how how it's compiled or how it works. Yeah. But I think it was memory issues is what we faced a lot with um, when I worked at the Cleveland Clinic, and we had a whole bunch of tests and assessments coming in, and uh, even like accelerometer data that we would capture at like several hundred hertz, which is like hundreds of times in a second, which. Yeah, also don't do that. I think 60 hertz like is is just fine. But um, that was, we had like 10 meg payloads coming across the wire and it was just, it, Ruby would fall over really easily, whereas Go wouldn't. And so it's interesting to see now with Rust, that memory safety and yeah. just seeing what is important within the language and then kind of making sure that you're using the right tools for the right problems, I think. I, I, I've always liked that discussion with people getting really, interested about language design or which one you're are you using and they're like, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah it, uh, that's true it's as well it's like the uh, i think I, I what i enjoyed about github engineers and like folks hiring at github is it's not about being a rubyist or about being a go a gopher i guess mm -hmm. <laughs> i was gonna say a goist <laughs> but yeah a gopher um it's more about like can you solve problems and have you seen this before and that's like we're, we're currently interviewing for open sauce and as we approach these questions, it's like less about are you are you a Go person or a Rust person. It's more mm -hmm. of like, hey, here's our problem, and uh, have you seen this before? And like, how would you approach this? It's it, it, the way I like thinking about it is almost like a kaleidoscope too, and just like all the layers kind of like just enmeshing over one another. And it's I love seeing everybody's different take on it too. Even people coming from being physicists into yeah. software engineering or musicians. Just I love how people's minds work in that way. And they're able to like, oh, I didn't think you could do this with that or this, you know, have this language uh, actually execute in this way. But fascinating how people are able to assemble and create these things. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So open source, you got to cut your teeth on, you got to sort of grow your career. So like, what was the evolution of like Taylor today? Like, I know you spent some time at HashiCorp. Mm -hmm. And um, so like, where did open source take you? So I, I'd say, so I started working with open source in earnest, uh, I want to say like 2015, 16, those uh, Ruby on Rails days and working with gems. I think just yeah. seeing that you could have that like, oh, this uh, S3 interaction doesn't work for me. Like, oh, I can go in and fix this. Oh yeah. my gosh, I can do this little thing and it will help, you know, X, at least me, but uh, seeing that it helped other people too, I think was magical. Um, so that's kind of where I got a, a, my first taste of it. But when I moved into the Cleveland Clinic, uh, we started looking at, we were containerizing things and really just trying to push the needle on how uh, we worked with healthcare and cloud computing. Yeah. And so that was, there weren't a lot of vendors or spaces or, you know, we have like a, a gov offering for many yeah. clouds, but there isn't like a specific health, healthcare one that deals with HIPAA data. So that was really interesting. Uh, when we were running containers, we we're like, how do we do this? Is it an Ansible playbook? Is it how yeah. do we actually manage this? And Kubernetes came about then. Actually, saw somebody. It's funny because it's not what I'd recommend you use Kubernetes for now. But saw somebody <laughs> stand up WordPress on Kubernetes at a meetup locally that I saw. Okay, and I was like, this is going to change everything. Here in LA, uh, in Cleveland, in Cleveland. Okay, yeah, it, was, it just blew my mind, and I was like, oh my gosh, the it's it's the the persistent volume will come back, and yeah. oh persistent, oh amazing, oh. Uh, amazing. And so started working with that. Couldn't really get the team buy-in at the time. Um, you know, that it was just like, there's too many buzzwords. There's Mesos. There's Docker Swarm. It's like, let's wait to see when what shakes out out of this. And so 
um, at that time, uh, things kind of started to taper off, level off. And so I uh, started interviewing, wanted to come out to the West Coast. And uh, Disney uh, was one of those options. I went to Hired.com. And, uh, okay. And, Shout out uh, to Hired.com. It's phenomenal. It was so many interviews, but worth it. Yeah. Um, and so clearly, uh, it's great to be out here. Um, but uh, yeah, Disney's like, we're doing some forward thinking things. I'm like, oh, okay. Is, is that like some Ruby on Rails things? Or like, is that is that what you think is cool? Or is that what's really cool within the space that, yeah. that I know about? And uh, no, it was really cool. Uh, they were like, we want you to come in and implement Kubernetes. Uh, we want to have a common language in working with teams. And so yeah. getting that adoption was critical within our within Disney and within studios for all of our app teams there. But um once we had started to kind of get a good handle on that, it was about how do we give back? How do we, how do we how do we have a better insight into what's actually going on so that we're not just uh, adjusting to new features coming out or yeah. like we just don't want to be whim to the winds of change blowing around us. We want to be a part of the winds blowing. Yeah. And so that's where I started to jump into. Uh, I want to become a CNCF ambassador and it had a huge backlog. So that didn't that happen later, you know, in my story. But um, that was th that was me thinking, oh, that's open source. That's how I can speak on behalf of myself. And then it was difficult with Disney and legal stuff and yeah. things like that. So I wanted that sp that safe space to be able to work with someone or something. So entity that was the cncf and um so that didn't work out for a while and just started to lose a little bit of hope um but then somebody reached out about uh, working within the kubernetes release team and being a shadow uh, i think it was 114 uh and so i was like oh my gosh yes that's okay that's how i channel this energy and so then i got to learn from so many more people uh, eventually leading a kubernetes release and the moment that I made that decision the tough days at disney were beautiful ones when i went home because i was able yeah. to work on oh, that project, yeah. meet these people. It was just, it really just. Yeah, you, you hang up the tie and you put on the cape at night and. Uh... <laughs> it, it was great, yeah. yeah. It was just lit up by my computer screen. Yeah, I didn't need a telephone booth, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the computer in my desk was enough. Uh, yeah, that, that's so cool. So today, like Kubernetes is like, it's it's the choice for orchestration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was like good timing on your part. And I honestly, I knew Docker was like 2012, 2013. Maybe I'm off by a couple mm -hmm, years. Mm -hmm. So Kubernetes didn't really come into the scene until mid 2010s yeah yeah it's yeah i think it was like t what the cncf like unofficially officially started around i think it was early 2015 but didn't like really get okay. realized until 2016 yeah uh with the donation of kubernetes and all that stuff but it was yeah it's it really just worked out timing wise but um yeah that's that's my recommendation to anyone is just if you're if you're on the fence just do it here's i'm, I'm a playful helpful push over that because yeah. it's it, it's a great resume to build yeah, yeah, that's like literally our next step with our our platform is how do we orchestrate some of the sort of indexing we're doing, and mm -hmm. Kubernetes is the the question mark that we're exploring right now. Um, but you mentioned in passing CNCF uh, ambassador. Like, mm -hmm. what is well, what's a CNCF? Because I don't think we actually even clearly stated that. But then go into tell me about this ambassador program. Yeah, yeah. So the CNCF is the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and it's an open source foundation under the Linux Foundation. And uh, yeah, it's 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 not just alphabet soup. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so they house projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, OpenTelemetry, Backstage, Argo, all of these uh, really popular open source projects. And uh, when you're an open source project, you have to have funding and be able to like push against patent trolls or different legalities or be able to handle uh, uh, administrivia, essentially. And yeah. the goal is to make it easier for maintainers. At the end of the day, just eliminate that friction in managing a project. 
um, and and then kind of letting people know about that, creating assets to educate and help folks out. So that's the goal. And the goal, the official mission statement of the CNCF is to make cloud native uh, computing ubiquitous. Yeah. So that's it sounds cool, but that's what that really is. It's like education, yeah. working with people, building communities. Yeah, I feel like I have to ask what cloud native computing is because I know there's someone listening that's like, okay, not <laughs> alphabet soup, but also I don't know what that acronym is. Yeah, yeah. So that's running uh, your applications that you're writing in different programming languages and such. Uh, on different clouds like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, etc. Yeah, it's like the, it's the modern stack. It's almost like uh, taken for granted today because yeah, I feel it like is. it is the, the ramp up. Like post my college years, uh, we started seeing more ubiquity for like AWS. Like it was a thing you heard mm -hmm. of, but then I the only the time it clicked for me is when Instagram got acquired. Yes, and it was like oh, of course they were able to scale so quickly. It's a small team because they were using AWS and S3. Even even Netflix and, and streaming when they're Netflix, like trying yeah. to figure out like post the post DVD era, yeah yeah it's it's yeah honestly I now I gotta think I gotta have Sid come on and <laughs> talk about his experience at early days Netflix, um, but no it's just it's it's the whole thing of you mentioned open source of there are people who have solved problems but there's an opportunity to go fix things, but there's opportunity to build up the sort of platform of. I don't have to know about orchestration because I use a lot of things like Net, uh, Netlify and Vercel. So that hmm. gives me orchestra orchestration to make my deploys happen. Uh, so I can go solve another harder problem, like in the front end of the UI. And I think with uh, with the cloud, it, it gave us, once we figure out how to like interact with it uh, and credits became a thing, um, <laughs> we were able to like really roll the dice and like try big, heavy lifting things because, oh yeah, it's in the cloud. Yeah, it's it's I think that's it's it's funny that you say that because it's not funny. It's actually like super <laughs> serious and cool uh, that very serious. So, so many folks are trying to figure out that developer experience now because now that Kubernetes has gotten to that level of maturity and it's just an easy thing for folks to pull down, even if it's not directly something that people work with, you know, like you might run that on the back end or create a platform that sits in front of your development team or people writing code, making applications. And you're, you're, you're pushing to that. You're eliminating the friction so you don't have to know all the uh, umpteen thousands of features yeah. that Kubernetes has or how to set that up. Um, uh, we've started to see contributions to Kubernetes directly dip down. And that's not because it's not popular. It's just because the innovation is happening in other places. Like yeah. overall, Cloud Native Computing Foundation project contributions are, are up and to the right, essentially. But... Um, it's in places like OpenTelemetry, Argo, Backstage, just these other problems that now we can start to take a look at. To, to yeah. exactly your point. Yeah, it's the um, it's like I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of an anecdote or analogy. It's like I, I was on a podcast recently. I was they were talking about how like is AI going to basically take away jobs? And uh, I don't think there'll always be somebody who's going to have to plug in the data and have to m massage the data to make it work, but also build the platform and the UI on top of the AI. Yep. So. All the pieces around the machine learning that's happening, you still have to build, mm -hmm. uh, and you have to build that infrastructure. And like AI's, well, maybe AI builds it for you, and then we go <laughs> move on something else. Like we just make it purple at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think in like my reaction is is that in the the mid 1900s, 20th century, um, when the microwave came out, it didn't like ruin cooking. Like right. people just they had a choice. Do you want it quick? Or do you want to still cook your own meals and get your own food and grow your own vegetables? And like, that's still an option for people. And you see the resurgence of people wanting going, going the back to the analog era or the, the records. Like that's still a thing, just less people do it. And there's like a higher quality 
that you could sort of like, if you want to be an expert at your craft, go build Kubernetes and understand that. But if you want to be an expert at UI UX, like don't worry about Kubernetes. There, there was a talk I saw recently uh, of somebody talking about AI and and just uh, in in the storyteller and artist sense because it has a lot of those folks worried because they are the people writing the stories, the prose. Uh, and well, currently like, on strike right now at the time of this recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's it, 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 so many folks are just worried about that. And I heard it. I heard that argument structured in a way such that saying if we think back in in terms of human history and when we were having uh, different sessions at the Greek Parthenon and like delivering all of these uh, beautiful plays and and productions uh, there weren't sound designers yeah there weren't really lighting folks you <laughs> no. know like not to the the state that we have today and so uh, what AI is going to be able to do in a positive sense is create more roles and opportunities for people. It's like you said, it's the microwave not taking away the art or the craft. It's just another tool to use in the flow of that. And open source yeah. is very much the same way. Same thing is happening with Kubernetes yeah. and all these other things. It's like, what part of the stack do you really care about? Or what do you want to see more in or of? Yeah, and the illusion of the full stack developer is, I mean, it's even more clear that I, I don't know Kubernetes the way that I could know it if I spent way more time. But I had an inflection point when I joined Netlify to either do the front end code or <laughs> hang out with all the back end devs. And I, I didn't choose. They chose for me. Go write <laughs> JavaScript. Um, but that was an experience that like, I had an opportunity to understand Kubernetes in the way we're using it and cool. understand on how to like run it locally and ask questions. Uh, David Calavera was the CTO. He, uh, he was mm. also at Docker previously. Mm. So I got to learn all about Docker during that job. Am I an expert at any of that? No. But can I read documentation and have a good handle of if I needed like, I don't change the oil in my car. Well, technically, I drive a Tesla, so there's no oil. <laughs> but I know how to change the oil. I can change tires. Um, but I choose not to because right. I want to do something else. I want to get home and go work on that project I've been, I've been thinking about all day instead of, you know, figure out how to get in the car. And I, and I love that. It's it's. I feel like for so long, we have like looking back at 50s and 60s, 70s, and as time's gone on, you've seen people have to have this deep focus because yeah. you didn't have the internet. It was like a, an encyclopedia that maybe got updated um, twice in your life, you know, like a, just a bunch of box of books, or you have to go to the library or something like that. So there wasn't really that opportunity to learn or just focus on just the snippets that you wanted to. Yeah. Now we have a lot more opportunity to do that. And so I, I'm the same as you. I kind of felt there's some times where I'm like, I really should go deep with this. And I, I, I felt bad and guilty. I haven't been able to. But the more that I grow and learn and see, the more I'm excited yeah. about like, no, this is great. This is like the montage of my favorite things. So why yeah. wouldn't I want to do that? It's so much more yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Life is short. And like you can spend all the time, you know, honing your craft and only owning that. Or you can grow and, ex and excel in the next thing. And like my career, it sounds like you had like a quite a tour uh, of different places. And in my career, in my path has always been, oh, I'm going to learn how to solve the problem and not focus on the tools itself. Like, And it's nothing against people who want to focus on tools because we need tool builders. 100%. And, yeah, there, uh, there are roles yeah. for everybody. That's what's so, yes. Yeah, and you had mentioned uh, your time at Disney. I was actually thinking about, uh, I know Chick-fil-A is a popular co company in the, the cloud native computing. Uh, and they were, I was listening to a podcast when they were talking, I forgot the, um, the engineer, but they were talking about how the ordering system, like, I don't know, have you been to Chick-fil-A recently? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like the, the lines are always around the, the block or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And they have like the iPads out and like they've evolved fast food where it's like where normally fast food's like you wait. Fast food for them is like it's fast food. 
and it's powered by Kubernetes. It's, it, it, I've talked to a couple of folks working on infrastructure over there. I think Brian Chambers was his name. Uh, uh, fascinating in how they've been able to put those things together and then set up their like uh, POS systems and everything in the restaurants. And I, I think even hearing about their intention behind the support team and not wanting yeah. it to be 40,000 people, it should just be we make, we have a small lean team focused on solving the problem yeah. and a team that's able to support that well. And yeah, amazing what they've been able to do. Uh, uh, funny with Chick-fil-A too, there's that culture of niceness I've heard yeah, too. Yeah. So there, it's it <laughs> my pleasure. It could be difficult to uh, say that there's a problem and the same thing existed at Disney too. So it's I get little hints of that too in open source, but I feel like uh, people are a little bit more frank and upfront. There's that- uh, did I, did, did, at Disney, did they have postmortems, or was it called something else? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yes, it was called other things. Yeah, it's just like retrospective. Is that does that sound better? Like, yeah, that's that's good. Let's let's market test it. Let's see. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So uh, going back to the CNCF, so we we talked about cloud native computing and the CNCF, but like, can we talk more about the sort of infrastructure membership and like how companies like Chick Fil A interact? It with the CNCF? Yeah, so so there's a couple of different ways. So so with open source, that's that's free, right? So how is all this stuff happening? Um, so it, there's uh, so yeah, no so no such thing as a free lunch, you know, talking yeah. about Chick Fil A and everything else. Um, it's so there's a couple of different ways in which folks get involved. There's uh, people that just use and consume open source, and that's typically we have this contribution ladder, this this concept within the Linux Foundation. I love it. You know, I I would uh, haven't gotten a tattoo or anything like that of it on my arm, or uh, but uh, it's still time. It's it's like I'm still young. I got uh, yeah. Um, there's uh, it's it's people that will pull things down and consume the projects, and that's yeah. you you have to start that way. Yeah. Um, the next is by getting a little bit more involved, and then you start contributing back, and so just getting the sense for okay, this works for me, but mm, can it work a little bit differently? Um, and then I uh, forgive me, I'm blanking on the ladder two of of this the ladder. Is it the but, like the the leader maintainer something in that realm? Yeah, it's like maintainer and then like expert, or it's just like showing that level of progression. And so uh, different folks will land at different spots on that ladder, but you can come and join the CNCF as a member, and then there are different tiers and levels there. So you might have folks that want to get involved and then make use of getting KubeCon tickets and um, uh, training and certification or uh, interacting with different user groups that are just for members. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing to try to navigate how to make membership beneficial to folks too, because it is open source and truly we want everything to be open, but uh, by making membership worthwhile, what does that look like? Is that gated content? It's like, mm, that feels weird being an open source. You know, yeah. if it were trends or something else, okay, maybe if it's networking events, that makes a little bit more sense too. But it's an interesting space to try to develop out. And literally I'm meeting with folks next week, uh, uh, flying to Portland and, and discussing, discussing that strategy with them. So yeah. Uh, really fun. There's events. That one's always a little bit more straightforward, a little bit easier, like the KubeCons and specific events for CNCF projects that we host. And then um, uh, training and certification is the other yeah. one on that front, too. So we don't have individual like person memberships just yet, uh, just because we haven't really it doesn't seem like that would work well within our community. Um, makes more sense to have uh, companies kind of buying on that front or run events to, to create that revenue. Uh, but we, uh, the reason we exist is such that we can have a vendor neutral 
uh, conversation. Like yeah. you're not feeling like it's uh, one entity like really pushing on a feature set or like trying to make fetch a thing if you've seen you know, that movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, just like, why yeah. are you trying to make this happen? It's There isn't really that momentum behind it. Yeah, literally no one made fetch a thing. So yeah. they, <laughs> that, that joke. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, it, it makes sense too as well. It's like the the individual themselves, like they definitely want to level up. And I think the opportunity there is if you participate or join a company involved in the organization, it becomes a nice place where you can get the expertise and get the sponsorship um, to, to level up as well. Because like I, I worked at GitHub and we are, actually we have a board member on the JS Foundation hmm. uh, from my my former team. And I think there's a lot of, well, previously they've moved on to Shopify, but Rails core team as well. And like hmm. like having access to knowledge is like, that's really what's needed. Uh, I think it's it's good that it's vendor neutral as well because I know Kubernetes, I don't know Kubernetes came out of Google, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like it, I always thought of it as a Google project. Google has their thing that is GKE, but the, the the fact that it's gifted, that innovation can happen on top of Kubernetes, and now we have like a standard for orchestration. Well, I don't I don't want to call it a standard if it's not a standard, but to me as an outsider, it feels like a standard. Um, yeah. But now we get to go work on some other problems, and I, I've seen I've actually recently seen a, a slew of startups building on top of Kubernetes to do the orchestration layer. Um, so not necessarily just to deploy websites, but to do almost anything when it comes to or orchestrating. It's it, it's really interesting when you start looking at it as as a community that feeds into one another too, because it's it's very much all these different effects taking place. Like vendors want you to be within the cloud native space because they are able to sell your product and compute, right? So yeah, you, you have these uh, what we call end users, and those are the folks that I work more specifically with. End user is a little bit of a general term, and so it's it's always an elevator pitch when I when I describe that to yeah. folks. And what that is are people that are adopting and using. CNCF projects to power their businesses without yeah. reselling them directly. So those are folks like Intuit, Mercedes-Benz, Airbnb. Got it. They're not selling you cloud native uh, product, but they do. They are running a service or they're monetizing yeah. in a different way. Um, so those are the folks that I'm working with because they're the ones that want specific features. They're the ones that are adopting and using these projects. Yeah, they're in the consumer layer. Exactly. Or the the layer, the the, the base of your pillar. And, and we're starting to see like services groups too, like they aren't considered end users because they're a consultancy and they can kind of like make a decision oh, okay, or call yeah. in a certain way. So there could be some undue influence there. But in most cases, they're working with end users. So they ha also bring a different perspective to the table, uh, despite being classified as vendor members right now. So does the, the CNCF do like a bit of work? Because like, so like on the West Coast, all the companies here are more, more than likely touching a cloud native product. But when you think of like some of the legacy, um, I, I think of, I'm trying to think like John Deere, but they're probably already <laughs> part of the ecosystem. But some of the more legacy companies in the U, at least in the US, I'm thinking of like maybe in the farm manufacturing, is there like outreach to level up those yeah. companies in the cloud? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, so the, C, the CNCF is, comprised of three pillars, essentially. There's the governing board, and they're the folks that handle the very fun things. I'm saying an asterisk, you know, shout out to them, love you. Governing uh, board but, sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> they, I'll I, take two. <laughs> yeah, the, the spreadsheets and budgets and things like that, like I'm so happy that they they take care of that and handle that and kind of set a direction and focus for the organization, like where we're going to, to yeah. pool funds and time. Uh, there's a technical oversight committee, and they decide the technical direction of the organization, which projects are coming in, yeah. are there 
are they graduating to different levels? And then the end user pillar. And those are the folks using and consuming on that front. So when it comes to outreach, uh, we, we, that's at the forefront of our concerns. We want to be at conferences. We want to be accessible. We want to be meeting people where they're at because what we're seeing is that people aren't able to, uh, you know, uh, jump on flights and just jump around the world, make it to KubeCons in a lot of cases or these events that we put on. So we've been focusing a lot more on more local events and giving people the chance to interact with one another because uh, that, that, that outreach needs to happen. And to grow, you need that outreach. You need that exchange of ideas. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, also the farming stuff has been fascinating with what they've done to, it's like, there's like no farmers anymore. It's all computers and just like, yeah. it's wild to see that. But. Yeah. I mean, talk about disruption, uh, like a lot of manufacturing farming is now automated, but probably will also get impacted through AI. I, I guess there's a lot of pushback around like AI trucking as well. Another opportunity where if the roads are safer by, from computers, um, I've actually heard a lot of people push back of like, maybe no one should be driving. Like we all just sort of pushed a button, which is like, this is now the world is sort of, I don't know, Blade Runner, did they drive in Blade Runner? But yeah, but basically like one of the systems where our cars are flying and it's autopilot everywhere. And uh, we just trust that someone made the right decision in the machine. It's, it's, I'd, so I also drive a Tesla. And so that was the scariest, but most like, I was like fighting my lizard brain, like part of myself, like, do I turn? Do I? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see where that level of comfort fits in. And, and I'm, I, I didn't minor anything like that in psychology, but it fascinates me so deeply. And so understanding like, why am I uncomfortable with this? And just like digging into that from a human aspect is. Oh yeah. I I, I I was very nervous. So I don't have full self-driving, but I have the autopilot. And took a uh, drive to Las Vegas. And I think on the way back, you go through the hills and like sort of like windy. And <laughs> Tesla like, keeps you like right in the middle of the lane. And uh, very uncomfortable on a, on a hill. I just, I had to take uh, over. I, I'm the same way. Yeah, I was just like, ah. They're, they're, uh, I've driven to Cleveland and back. Uh, oh, so Los Angeles to Cleveland and back. And it was, it did add like a, nine hours to the trip because of charging and yeah. everything but there was a scary point too because it has that regenerative braking where it's yeah. going to charge your battery back up and um <laughs> was going through nevada and uh my battery was going to run out just like on paper i was like i have 11 percent back there's no way i'm going to make it with that many miles and so on yeah. and so forth uh and ended up it was it was right no i it was going downhill the whole time and i got like back up i recharged my battery a bit and then i was able to get to the place but freaked me out as like the numbers worked out yeah, trust <laughs> trust the process <laughs> that, that is amazing like what's your thought on this whole like have you have you done any ai work like this mm-hmm, side mm-hmm. project fun like what have you done so far oh so much it's <laughs> i think that honestly the most fun i've had with it has been i've been able to get through my linkedin backlog of messages so fast uh, <laughs> oh, so so i just like i i declared bankruptcy <laughs> it's like i I'm, I'm actually accessible again um so that's that's helped but the funniest thing i've done with that is uh we, everyone has friends or acquaintances they've known from 10 20 plus years ago uh, uh maybe they want you to join an mlm from high school or something like yeah. that uh and so i asked uh, i got something uh, a message from a friend i hadn't spoken to in a while and i fed it to chat, chat gpt and i said write me a non-committal answer and it's just like hey that's cool wow you know and did a really good job <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, uh, this is this kind of ruin relationships. <laughs> it's very funny. It's I've had it dissect uh, things too, where somebody has expressed something to me and might not be clear, and so you can actually ask it, like, "Could you take a shot at this chat GPT?" It's like, "Well, here's what I think they're saying." You know, it's like that. Yeah, voice in your ear, person on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I enjoyed. I'm actually I use Superhuman, so I've actually Same. I emailed the founder. I'm like, "Hey, I would love to get access to this thing. It'd be amazing." Because I'm copy and pasting and putting in chat GPT and then replying back. Yeah, just so like, streamline that. Yeah, streamline yeah. it. I'll pay the extra $4 or whatever. And yeah, it's been amazing. And we, we actually, so today, well, Monday, we're going to ship a, a Chrome extension that's going to be AI on GitHub. And uh, the our first feature, which we shipped already, is generating PR descriptions based on your, kit, your Git commits and your diff, um, or your commit names, or messages rather, and then your diff, and then generate, oh, this is what I did. And you can have the sentiment of like humorous or informative <laughs> or just a listicle. And then the other thing is we now do refactoring, which is it's it's like copilot basically. Same, same <laughs> engine that does copilot. So the refactoring is this it works. Um, but I do want to add replies so that way I can reply back. Cool. And like people ask me questions, but I don't know the answer. I just want to write up like a quick bullet and then chat GBT. Make this an answer that makes sense. That's and, I think that's the thing too, is like either breaking that initial friction of writing the email, doing the yeah. thing, just getting started has been a huge like personal thing that's helped me out, uh, as well as refining like uh, I'm very tangentially thought, you know, kind of oriented. Um, uh, don't usually come out cohesive in some yeah. cases when I get excited, especially. And so it's nice to be able to use that to refine things or like just, you know, get everything out that's on your mind onto onto the screen and then refine it and just like reshape it a bit too. So it's fun to have like that little coach in, in, in your computer screen. Yeah, I want to run, run through some data too as well because we have the data at open source. Like how many PRs have no description? And like be able to like make that a insight. <laughs> that or testing, testing again. Testing, yes, testing yes. again. Yeah. Yeah. Dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Uh, or like, there's the, um, well, this is trivial. One of the um, DevRel at uh, Vercel created the AI commit message generator. And I think it's, it's a, honestly, if you're an engineer, like this is a fun little project. <laughs> like create your own, like run it, <laughs> run it locally. Um, but yeah, it's just the same thing. It's like, I don't know what I just did. Like I did a bunch of code. Now I, did, I get diff and then paginate through different stuff. And like, okay, this is what I did. Let me, let me write the message. But, or I could just be like, hey, let me just like generate this through open AI. That, that and just like the operational efficiency, I think that's the biggest thing that has my interest peaked right now. Like I'll do summarization, I'll feed it like an article and ask it questions. And like for, for me, it's a lot of that interaction. And, and like, yeah. like you said too, just like uh, I've, I've gotten to work with GitHub Copilot X and getting the chance yeah. to like see what Oh, that, you have access? Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's fascinating. Didn't yeah, give it's, me access yet. <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the CLI uh, Copilot. Uh, and I've got a couple other GitHub Next projects that they, they mm -hmm, opt me mm -hmm. into, but that, that I haven't got the uh, the Copilot X yet. I've, I've gotten to play with uh, Blocks so far. That's been interesting. Yeah, Blocks uh, is pretty cool. I, I'm still figuring out, like, the I have a use case, which I want to be able to leverage Brock Blocks so I can just have, like, just data that updates in my README consistently. I'd, I'd love that for, like, the, I still, that's, that's still in my backlog. Maybe ChatGPT or, or Copilot will help me with that this weekend. Yeah. Is like, my About Me page or, like, the only dole slash only dole on, on my repo. <laughs> uh, but I'd love for a chance to be able to do that and even even keep track of where folks are going. I feel like, no one, it's, so we know of, like, fantasy sports and things, but I, I feel like we have nothing like that for people in tech switching jobs. It's like, wait, they went yeah. there? Okay, oh, yeah, you get points. So you, you made that better. Yeah, way. I did notice, like, a few of my former colleagues at GitHub at new places, and 
as I reach out to them, they're like, oh, you're not there anymore. Okay. It would be cool to have like a little, like a LinkedIn automation and be like, hey. I would love that. Yeah. Because like they do announcements, but it'd be cool if I could just get like a digest. <laughs> that or even just like my address book. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to send you an email and you're not going to get it because you're not there. Yeah. And yeah, I would love that. Yeah. So cool. I mean, I'm all for the innovation. Like I, I feel like I've hit my peak as engineer and like I'll still continue to do things, but I know what I like and I know how to do things. And someone needs to convince me to do the next thing. And AI is that is that thing. It's the um, the Chrome extension I mentioned. Like I built it with a couple interns last weekend. Wow! And uh, I built the first step, and I was like, "Hey, interns, can you like polish this?" And uh, we ended up getting it done two days ago. Wow! And and it was really just like more just like figure out the the user interaction. It wasn't more. It wasn't actually the connection to OpenAI, which is yeah. It's 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 amazing. Also scary. Like. OpenAI is, is is a company, and we're all feeding it all data um, to figure it out. So, uh, I do like uh, tools like Replicate, uh, Hugging Face yeah. as well. Like they, the ability to share models amongst friends. Uh, that's the thing I like about the current situation of AI. So, um, definitely worth checking out the other the other models that are out there that are shareable. I I, I love that that uh that one article that came out of google and just like that vote of confidence that was yeah. that was one of my worries too is thinking back to open ai it was like the initial thought was to give everyone their own ai uh, models to be able to train and learn and like it make it truly an extension of you and yeah. so seeing that that really is what um the thought leaders and other people that are very close to that space are saying yeah. makes me really optimistic that like okay cool i can make you know tailor ai at some point in time and uh you know like have it give me some really good book recommendations or like things that I'm, i'd be prone to do and um and uh i i, I what there's a event i went to stripe sessions and sam altman was there and talking a little bit about this and I got the privilege to sit next to somebody uh, working at Microsoft on a couple AI projects, and they said that there's like a hugging face meetup where they had a um, uh, like networking AI kind of like project that they made where they created agents for people, yeah. and they would go interface and network with other agents, and then like <laughs> say like this is a good match, you know? Yeah, like, here's okay. your list. Yeah, it was Actually, really funny. It's not, not bad. It it's um there's a conference up in um San Francisco called Saster. Um, I forgot the the guy who runs it, but it's um, yeah, there's a bunch of founders and and VCs that go and have a huge conference. <laughs> and the the best part of the conference is not even the talks; it's a networking tool where you can like pre get intros and set up meetings before the conference starts. That's cool. And I got to like we didn't like we didn't raise any money from that because it was way too early last year for us. Um, but it was just meeting people, just like not even knowing if I needed the need that relationship, but just making friends uh, is the best part about the conference. And it's like built into the the the, the price of the ticket. I, I, I'm i seeing the same thing too with like I, pre predominantly executives and other folks that I'm, I'm like, I, I still am like pinching myself. I'm like, wait, I'm, I just talked to that person from that. Wait, what? Um, it's that's that's what they want to do, especially post COVID. Like there is that wants to. Um, that's the number one thing I hear is like, Wow, it's it was just great to have that talk, uh, and it's yeah. like just that kind of interaction is is so powerful. And so networking events is, I think, yeah, it's f phenomenal. Not not to throw shade to anyone giving talks or anything like that too, but being uh, yeah. able to say like, okay, I you know uh, can actually watch this on YouTube after the fact or take yeah. notes or the hallway track. That's the it's, that's it's the best track. It is. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I, I definitely want to wind down the conversation, but I forgot to ask about the whole incubation process of the mm -hmm. CNCF. Like there's actual legit projects that grow up in this ecosystem. So like, how does that work? So great question. 
So when it comes to CNCF projects, uh, folks have to donate them, essentially. Um, what you do is if you have a project and it's got a great community and it's like you feel like it's ready, you know, it can't be something that's vaporware. It can't be yeah. something that's like, I hope this, you know, like like Taylor's idea .txt <laughs> is not going to cut it. Um, but something oh. that is kind of started to come about, has a community and it's it's bootstrapped. That's a yeah. good in, that's that's a good start. Um, there is, I think it's CNCF slash sandbox that the technical oversight committee set up now. So it answers questions on what's a good fit, what isn't, and just some things to keep in mind because they do due diligence on that front yeah. as far as looking at projects and accepting them. Um, once something is accepted as a sandbox project, it is recognized by the CNCF, but it doesn't get marketing benefits, uh, namely in, in part because there's no IP transfer or copyrights or anything like yeah. that. That hasn't happened yet. It's really just training wheels to help us understand one another. The Linux Foundation, CNCF, understand the project and vice versa. Um, so once, uh, and then every year we'll have like an audit and we'll kind of like look at the community, look to see if the project is still growing. Is it, does it need to be archived? It doesn't make sense to keep it in the program, et cetera. Um, it, if the sandbox project is going really well, then they will apply to go to the next phase, which is incubating. Okay. And so that's when there's that, uh, IP transfer, not, not, uh, not ports and, you know, in yeah. protocol, but like the intellectual property such that the Linux foundation can jump in and help out with legal fees and licensing and, and, and everything else on that front as problems arise. Um, and, and we only accept things with like an Apache license, MIT, just like permissive licenses. Yeah. Um, so once it gets to that phase, then you get the marketing benefits and you're able to, it's, you're becoming more legit. Yeah. Um, you, you, the goal to get to graduated is to get more adoption, to really refine your community and to diversify the people that are contributing to your project such that you can guarantee to people and like guarantee this life cycle isn't just for a blip. It's going to, uh, have some really good people at the, at the helm, uh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank to, you, Kubernetes. To, to carry that forward. Um, graduation is, is like, that's when that, that is past the point of success in, in, in my humble opinion, you know, people give you success and accolades the moment that you don't need it, you know, yeah. is, is a funny quote I heard somebody say once. <laughs> and it's, so that's very much it for projects. Like you've graduated, you've really proven yourself, and then you have some of the later adopters adopting those projects. Yeah. But people looking for newer things, if you want like the nightly build, that's the sandbox kind of thing in most cases. It's, yeah. it's mature software, but it's just hasn't been widely adopted. So that vote of confidence isn't necessarily there. Incubating is a, a lot more certain. Graduating is very, very certain. Okay, interesting. Yeah, do you take projects from like established companies? Because I know a couple projects for at GitHub that like lacking the the contribution. I, I'm sure it's come up on the internally in that that conversation. Though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, one that we were really excited about. I think it was just after I had joined. I got to hear about it earlier on. Uh, I joined the CNCF March 2022. And uh, I think like within a week or two, I heard that Istio was in talks of potentially yeah. coming to the CNCF. So I was like, oh, sweet. Like it, uh, 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 one of the reasons I joined was to hear the stories of open okay. source. So it was really fun. Yeah. Um, and to be clear, like, like like Spotify donated backstage. Like Spotify yeah. has hands off, yeah. no mortar. Yeah. Into yeah. it with Argo. Like all of it. Really, oh, I didn't know I came out of into it. Really yeah. interesting. Really interesting. Um, it's, it, it, it makes sense because like, well, there's like a couple of trends I see. Like I see Uber, a ton of people from Uber taking their projects outside of Uber and like working on like startups to, to build that. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a few projects that have gone to the either the Linux Foundation or to CNCF as well from Uber. But it's it's very popular to see people solve a problem and then they share it with the community. 
Uh, and it makes sense that they would then they'd go to Sandbox to incubate it, to graduate it. And it gets boring building the same thing at companies as you make your career moves or even for other people yeah. to like, you know, talk to somebody at dinner and they work at a different company. And you're like, ah, oh, shoot, this would solve your problem. It's a bummer. I yeah, can't. yeah, it's closed sourced. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, now I'm like, okay. <laughs> Next time I talk to her project, she's like, I don't know what's gonna go on. Like, yeah, please, contributions. yeah, yeah, yeah. have like, come oh, by. We'll, we'll chat. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Like, what's the weirdest project that's gone through the CNCF so far? Great question. Oof. I'm trying to think. It, it, the funnier ones to me, just just more like the memeability for you know, being being in software and infrastructure for a while, are the vaporware projects, or it's just yeah. like like uh, you know Gary's really great idea, or you know just like <laughs> not an actual project. But um, those are interesting. It's it's interesting to see where the disconnects are. Like sometimes yeah. it's like wildly out of band, and then sometimes it is a bummer. It's like ah, it's like it's a project just missing a small little thing. Um, more interesting projects that I'm seeing right now is like uh, there was one I saw recently. Uh, uh, applying, it was uh, Kate's GPT. So it's, yeah, that's the first AI one I know about. And it's supposed to have like really good SRE data and, and interactions. Okay. Um, I've joked with folks, I, I really do want to write it, but I'm trying to see if somebody else will first. I'm like uh, projecting and trying to push it off of my yeah. plate. But I'd love to see somebody write some kind of operator within Kubernetes so that if you experience errors, it pings chat GPT to see what the fix is and run it. And just yeah. to be comical to see what happens to the cluster. Can it stay up? You know, maybe it's a game show. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be, that'd, yeah, to see all the charts up on the screen. This had the popcorn. Like, yeah, this like Prometheus is down. Why? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks for the insight too as well. Of and, course. Uh, yeah, I'm, I feel like every time I talk to you, I get more knowledgeable about this whole industry is it there's so much going on it's just such a fun space to be and if yeah. you blink you'll miss something it's just, oh, yeah. it's it's so fun it's so fun but yeah i'll keep i'll keep an eye out i'll, I'll continue to keep slurping the the git commits and like, seeing where the trends are happening within the cncf and uh appreciate you coming out for the chat thank you so much this is fantastic yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's my brain is full of sauce and open source commits <laughs> yeah <laughs> I well, love you it. heard it here stay saucy everyone <laughs>